Um, can you stand for the reading of God's word? It looks like you all are. Okay. It's my first time doing this. Okay, here we go. Psalms 33 is what we're going to read. It says this. Shout for the Lord, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Psalms 33. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded it and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, and the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're continuing our series through the book of Exodus, and this morning we're looking at property laws. You can join me in Exodus chapter 22. When Moses talks about property laws, of course, he's writing about livestock, oxen, and things like this, and sheep, and vineyards. And so sometimes when people are reading through the Bible, they decide, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And they hit right around Exodus chapter 20, 21, 22, and that's where things come to a screeching halt because you begin to wonder, how exactly does this relate to my life today? It's not a story anymore, and uh, now we're just going through all of these ancient laws. Uh, But it's helpful for us to remember that these laws worked as precedents. Uh, They don't mention every single possible scenario or every single legal problem, but what they do is they illustrate principles that can be applied to a wide range of situations. In this case, we have several verses. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 15 of Exodus 22. 
we have several verses about property rights, and I think as we go along, we'll begin to see implications for how brothers and sisters relate to each other. Do we have any fourth through sixth graders here? No? Oh, we have one that opted out. Very nice. The astute young man here. Very good. So these laws work as principles. They work as, uh, as uh, guiding ideas that we keep in mind then for our disputes with each other. Uh, there are disputes among us, between us, not just brothers and sisters arguing over Legos, but we do have uh, believers in the church who sometimes disagree with each other over these kinds of things. So how do you respond when someone damages your property, for example? How do you, uh, uh, what do you do when you damage someone's property? These kinds of things are, are going to show us some important things. You may not uh, actually hurt somebody's sheep, but you might break a window, you might ding somebody's car, you might scratch the screen of somebody's phone or something like that. So let's look at uh, these verses, and then we'll draw out some implications for uh, how these laws actually make a difference in real life. I'd like to tackle these verses in three parts. We're going to see several different sections here of laws. And the first few, verses 1 and 4, I already talked about 2 and 3 in a previous sermon. So this first section, verse 1 through 4, deals with theft. And I'd like to look at verses 1 through 4 now. First of all, verse 1, Exodus chapter 22. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. All right. Now, in those days, oxen were very valuable. It took years to train that kind of a beast of burden. And so this would be a little bit like stealing a truck from a construction worker with all of the tools in the back. What do you do in this kind of a scenario? So the deal was that if someone stole an ox and was caught, if the thief was caught, then he had to... Uh, Give five, he had to repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Okay, so in this case, justice demands fivefold restitution. If you steal an ox, you have to give five oxen back in return. And then you see down in verse four, if the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, okay, so in the previous section, the ox is dead or sold and just gone, unrecoverable. So here in verse 4, if the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Okay, so if the ox is gone and unrecoverable, uh, stolen, destroyed, then you've got a five times restitution. The thing's gone, and because it takes so long to train and just the hassle of replacing this thing, the thief has got to give five oxen in return for stealing one. And that's what restitution means, restoring what is taken. So this is a five times restitution scenario. But if the stolen ox or if the stolen item here is recoverable, then you've only got a double or a two times restitution. And why this difference? I think because with an ox, it takes a long time to train it. And so it's a huge hassle on the part of the victim in this case. If the ox was stolen and found, you pay two times for the hassle. And that makes sense? Two times for the hassle. It's a 100% type of a scenario where you have to give the oxen back and give 100% of the value of the oxen. But if the thing is gone or if, if it's dead, destroyed, sold, then this is going to be a huge hassle for the victim to replace. And so restitution in this case looks like five times. Uh, think about it like a candy bar. Uh, let's say I steal your candy bar. 
Uh, now, if I don't eat it, then I've got to give you two candy bars uh, when, when I get caught. Okay? So the basic principle here is that restitution is not just giving back what I stole, and that's important here for these laws. Restitution isn't that I just be like, okay, fine, and I give you your candy bar back. But I actually got to give you two candy bars. So there's an irony there that I actually have to give up and lose what I hoped to gain uh, through that stealing. But let's say that I eat your candy bar, which would be easier to catch me in that case because you'll see it on the sides of my face and that sort of thing. So let's say that I eat the candy bar. So it's gone. Now it can only be replaced, not just with a simple, you're right, and I grab it from under my bed and give it back to you, but now it can only be replaced with a trip to the grocery store. More of a hassle, a bigger hassle. So you've got to give me more than twice the value in this case. It's more than twice. Now what a judge does with these Old Testament laws, or usually you'd have a town or a village and there'd be some elders in town. They'd look at these precedents and there's some kind of a theft that has happened. The judge is looking at the precedents and basically he's got a range of between two times and five times in regard to what the restitution needs to look like. And the way that he figures it in terms of a sliding scale, is based on hassle. So it's only going to take a day or so to go to the store and get that candy bar. So we're probably looking at about a three times situation, a three times, 300% scenario where I've got to give you the candy bar back and probably two more because of the hassle. Um, if I happen to have a candy bar upstairs that we both agree this works, then probably just two times. Uh, but see, with the oxen, it takes years to train. And so we can go up to five times. If the hassle is worth it, then we can go up to five times. So let me just read these two verses again so that we make sure we understand them. Verses 1 and 4. If a man steals an ox or a sheep, kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox, four sheep for a sheep. If the stolen beast, I'm down on verse 4. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. So it's at least double, but based on the hassle, doesn't you can't really train a sheep, so it's not a five-time scenario. Oxen being a beast of burden, there's a training process and all that kind of stuff, so it's worth five times. A couple of things to notice here. First of all, God gives human beings the right to own things. So we see that coming right from uh, these laws. And this is important. What's mine is mine. What's yours is yours. The second thing we notice is that it's wrong to take things that other people own. Basic ethical principle. If this thing belongs to you, it therefore does not belong to me. And so I need to ask you permission if I can touch it or use it or play with it or whatever it may be. And then finally, what we see coming out of this passage is the idea of restitution. And restitution in the Old Testament law is more than just replacing the stolen property, which is how it normally works in our American system of laws, uh, trying to find kind of an equal type of scenario, although it can be very frustrating. Somebody embezzled my dad for $150,000, and you know, if you take a poor person and garnish their wages for 1,000 years, you never come up with 150000 and so it was a dissatisfying solution to that. Um, so we didn't even get, get really toward, toward restitution there. It was more of a penalty. But the interesting thing about the Old Testament laws is there's no jail here, okay? There's no jail. There's restitution. And I think we'll begin to see why here as we go along. It's not just that they had never thought of the idea of a jail or that it was uh, inconvenient to build a jail or something like that. Um, 
but there is an emphasis in these laws put on relationships. It is about restoring a community through a process of restitution. Um, So these laws are telling us that not only do you replace the candy bar that you stole, but you give an additional candy bar up to five based on hassle. How much trouble is the victim going to go through in order to replace this loss? This could be a big help, I think, in church member disputes and also in sibling disputes. I think parents can use these Bible precedents, kind of like an Old Testament town elder would have done, in order to figure out what to do uh, when, let's say, baseball cards are stolen. Let's say a whole bunch of baseball cards are stolen. Now, that baseball card collection probably took years to collect. And if the thief is caught and all the cards are under his bed, then the victim would be given the cards back plus 100% of the value of the cards because they've been replaced. They were recoverable, and they're not damaged. We found them before they were sold or messed around with or something. So the victim looks at it and is like, yep, it's all there. So good. So what happens in this scenario is that they're all given back to the victim plus the value of all of those cards. So that's what you would do in that scenario. But what if they were damaged? Or sold or traded or whatever so that it's in a different condition or gone and it's unrecoverable. In that case, the victim would be owed not only the value of the missing cards, but also up to five times that value because of the hassle that this person is going to go through in order to replace those cards. Why is that? Why do these laws work in that way? And I think this is important. The Old Testament property laws not only protect property, but they protect relationships. It is the gracious, honorable thing to make restitution in multiplied terms. Uh, Besides that, the cost of stealing becomes quite high, which can function as a deterrent. The thief has to make restitution, let's say once or twice, it becomes a pattern for him. And we see this sometimes in communities where somebody steals some things and begins to develop a bit of a habit. Now, it's a blessing to this person if he gets caught. If he gets caught, he has to pay restitution. Very expensive. So you're going to pay restitution once or twice, and you're going to start thinking, this is expensive. (laughs) Being a thief is expensive because you not only have to give back what you stole, but the entire value of that. And if you've created a real hassle, you've got to give even more than that. And there were laws here that if the person is unable to pay, they have to sell themselves into basically indentured servanthood for a number of years until they've worked off the debt and made the sort of restitution uh, that that particular theft deserves. Now, the reverse here is always true. We see a range here between two and five times for restitution. And we've seen times when victims insist on ridiculous penalties. You've maybe experienced this yourself where you've experienced some kind of loss and you're like, 50 times restitution is going to be right here, you know? And we see this, let's say, with the fast food customer who sues for millions of dollars because she got burnt by the food or whatever. And that is also an injustice, according to this Old Testament system. The upper limit of restitution is five times. And it's based not on the wealth of the, uh, the person that has victimized you, but it is based on justice. It's based on hassle. And the elders look on, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the hassle here is a two times hassle or the hassle here is a three times hassle. Um, so, so you've got a sliding scale uh, that is designed to deal with more than just stolen property. It's more than just appeasing the sad, mad feelings that are associated with property loss. 
This stuff is designed to restore relationships. And I believe that God cares as much about restored relationships as he cares about restored property. Let me just say that again. God cares at least as much about restored relationships as he cares about restored property. We're living in community with each other. There will be times when we step on each other's toes, damage each other's property. There may even be outright sin and stealing this or that from each other. The Old Testament shows us a system where, uh, uh, where not only will that property be replaced, but you'd have an opportunity to so diminish the feelings around that that you could have uh, a restored relationship. So the legal system that we have right now might make sure that everything is fair and yet people still hate each other or they might still live in fear. And that's not what God has in mind for his kingdom. All right, the next category has to do with negligence. Uh, We'll see this in verse 5. Negligence is damage that comes from not paying attention. This is very different from being a thief where I actually intentionally go onto your property and take something or I've hurt you in some kind of way that was intentional. Negligence is damage that comes from just not paying attention. Uh, So let's say that you have a dog that goes and eats the neighbor's garden hose or something like this or breaks a screen door or something like that. That's called negligence. You're responsible for this because it's your dog, but you didn't mean to. You didn't personally send the dog over and like, go get that garden hose or something like this. Uh, Maybe a pipe on your property breaks and floods your neighbor's basement or something like that. That's negligence. You didn't mean to. It wasn't intentional. Uh, You didn't do it on purpose, but uh, something that you own damaged your neighbor. So that's uh, the negligent situation here. Now, somebody might say, look, this isn't my fault because I didn't mean to damage your property. And so that's why these laws exist. It doesn't matter that you didn't mean to. You did. It doesn't matter what your intent was. We know that you didn't do it on purpose. This isn't a theft situation. Those are the previous laws. This is an unintentional harm scenario. So let's look at verse 5, Exodus 22, verse 5. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over, in other words, you've got some goats and you send those goats to your neighbor's property, okay? And then, or it says, or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and his own vineyard. So in other words, let's say you let out your goats and they, yeah, why don't you guys go graze over there? And then after they've been grazing for a while, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's Mr. Johnson's property. (laughs) Like, I didn't realize that. So that's the first scenario here where we've got if a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over and then sort of in parentheses, we might say, and then realizes that that's not my property, okay? Or you basically let your goats out and you're not paying attention because you turn around for a few minutes and goats being goats, they cross the property line and they end up eating some of the grapes or whatever from your neighbor's Property. So that's the kind of scenario we're dealing with here. The issue is that your neighbor's produce has been lost. And it is your fault. You are responsible for this. Even though you didn't mean to do anything, it is still your fault. It was an accident. This is not theft. So you don't owe 100% more. This isn't a two times, three times, four times type of a scenario up to five times. It's not that because it's not theft. But you do need to replace what was lost. So here in a negligent type situation, you need to replace what was lost. So maybe you agree that at harvest time, you're going to give him a sheave of wheat. 
Okay, so you have a bunch of sheaves, and your goats basically ate one sheave worth. So you and your neighbor decide, look, in, a, in about a month at harvest time, I'll give you a sheave, and I'll give you it from my best section right over there. Or you might decide that your goats ate a whole bunch of his grapes, and so you're going to walk next door with a box of your best grapes uh, in order to make restitution. Um, now, it's important here that this restitution comes from the best. You see that in the passage. He shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. Just imagine how many problems this solves here, that you're making restitution from the best. You can imagine having a jerk neighbor uh, with a goat that keeps damaging your grapevines, and he tries to make restitution with this scrawny little box of bitter grapes. That doesn't feel like restitution. It's your relationship with that neighbor, with your jerk neighbor, is going to be stressed and strained and god does not want his people to have those kind of stressed strained relationships and so what he needs to be doing is giving you grapes from his very best varietal his favorite grapes the grapes that he had identified for his like most important wine that he was going to make or the best tasting uh, table grapes that he was going to serve his kids he's got to give those ones up uh, in this restitution process not because it was equal value with, say, what his goats ate. It, you're, the goats may have eaten the worst grapes on your vine. But it is because the purpose here is not just to replace lost property, but to keep neighbors on peaceful terms. That seems to be the goal here. So what you do then when you have accidentally hurt someone is you give from the best. You're giving above and beyond in order to make it clear, look, we're on good terms here, right? Um, The general principle is that people need to take responsibility for their actions. And when people fail to do this, the whole community could end up suffering as a result. And God wants a kingdom filled with people who love each other. Biblical love is gracious, lavish love. So it's not just about trying to examine the uh, what comes out of your goat in order to say that was seven grapes and I'll give you seven grapes or something like this. That's not what we're doing here. Uh, what we're trying to do is be on incredibly good terms with our neighbors, and so we are generous when we're making restitution. Okay, third section, beginning in verse 7. This has to do with scenarios of safekeeping or lending. It's like when I've got something and I ask, hey, can you watch this for a while? Um, Can you take care of this while I leave town? Or you've got a borrowing situation. Can I borrow your saw or something like that? So here are the safekeeping and borrowing laws beginning in verse 13. No, beginning in verse 7. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, okay, so there weren't banks back then, and there weren't storage facilities or something like that. So if you're going to go on vacation and you're making a trip or something like that, you might ask your neighbor, hey, can you... Can you watch this for me while I'm gone? That would be a pretty common type scenario. So again, verse 7, if a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. Okay. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. So what you have here is a pretty awkward situation. Let's say that Mike is going to go on vacation and he asks me to watch his mountain bike while he's gone. Now, he knows that I'm not going to ride it because my legs can't reach the pedals. It's just going to sit in my garage, so he's cool with that. Now, let's say that it disappears while he's gone. It just disappears. And he comes 
back to town, and I explained, I don't know, one day I was there, one day I wasn't there. Now, Mike is pretty sure that I didn't steal it, but he might have this little thought, just this niggling little thought in the back of his mind that I wonder if Adam sold my bike so that he could afford to buy a little house up at Lake Tahoe. Maybe he did that. (laughs) We don't know. He might have done that. So now, the best case scenario here, the best case scenario is that a thief is caught. That would be excellent if a thief is caught because then it's clear what happens. And basically, the thief needs to make two times restitution, same as the laws that we see in verse 1 and 4. So there you have that. If it's stolen from the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. In other words, see above. (laughs) But verse 8 is the situation where there's no thief, no bike. We don't know what happened. And Mike is thinking, okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Adam didn't steal my bike. But that's going to put a little bit of a weirdness into our friendship all of a sudden. It's just going to put this thought in the back of his mind. I wonder if Adam is trustworthy. And again, God wants a kingdom filled with people who love each other. So the laws are designed to deal with this. So what's the solution? Let's read it in the original. Verse 8, if the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. So what does that mean, to come near to God? Probably means a couple of different things. Maybe you go to the the priest uh, or you uh, go to the town elders. Uh, But whether or not you do that, basically what you're doing is you're coming into God's presence together, two guys. There's a little bit of a weird conflict between them. And you're basically saying, look, I swear to God, I did not take your mountain bike. And there's something about saying that, you know, so help me God, I did not take your mountain bike. That should be enough for Mike. Because Mike knows that I love the Lord And that I would not swear before God, that I would not make an oath in God's presence uh, unless I was telling the truth. I just would not do that. Or Mike knows that this oath has been made in God's presence. And so God is going to strike me with lightning or something like that and deal with it. But in any case, this is all in God's hands. And so because God, excuse me, because Mike trusts God, he that's enough for him. So I make this promise, look, Mike, I swear before God. It's one of those things, you know, like I, with my hand on the Bible, I swear that I did not take your mountain bike. And what Mike has to do at that point is say, all right, okay, you didn't do it. That should be enough for Mike because he knows me well enough. And the same basic idea happens uh, when you have loaning between friends, between neighbors, a couple of months ago, I borrowed a guy's saw, his sawzall, because I needed to take apart that old jacuzzi I had in my backyard, and I could not figure out how else to get rid of that thing, and so I cut it into pieces with a sawzall, and while I was doing that, the blade broke. And so before I returned his saw, I went down to Home Depot, and I bought two new blades. Okay, so I broke one, but I bought two new blades, and I hadn't even read these laws recently, but I was just... Like, I'm not thinking about restitution in that time. I'm thinking about friendship, right? I want to be on good terms with Tim. So when I give him my saw back, he's like, oh, cool, I've got two. And I, and, and I started with one, used, brittle. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. See, that's what happens, right? <laughs> 
Okay, so here's the scenario here is you've got loaning. And right, there's lots of loaning that happens between church members. So what do we have here? Verse 10, if a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath. And he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to his owner. Okay? So if you've got this beast of burden, if you've got this tool, okay? It's a, it's a work tool, basically. Uh, and you say, hey, can I borrow that for a while? And it disappears. And we're not sure what happened to that. Um, then what happens again is an oath before the Lord where we find out, like, is this guy going to go before the Lord and say, I, I, you know, I don't know how it died. It just all of a sudden keeled over and died right there in front of me. Or did he, beat, did he beat the donkey and that's why it died? Or did he work it all day without feeding it or whatever? So we're going to go before the Lord. We're going to find out what happened here. So that's the scenario. And again, the end of verse 11, the owner shall accept the oath and, and he, the other one, shall not make restitution. But obviously, verse 12, if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to his owner. Okay. And then there's, a, there's an exception clause here, verse 13. One scenario that works a little bit more simply. If it is torn by beasts, verse 13, if it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. Okay, so you've got a carcass, basically, that's uh, obviously there's a lion, lion involved here. And it says, he shall not make restitution for what has been torn. Okay, so if you borrow a donkey, there is nothing you can do if a lion comes and eats it. There's just nothing you can do about that. Uh, And it is not negligence. It's not theft because it just was not your fault. Nobody can blame you here. There shouldn't be any trouble between neighbors when a lion comes and eats the donkey while it's on your property and you were supposed to be watching it. This is not a situation of negligence or theft It's just one of those things that happens. It was out of everybody's control, would have been just as likely to happen on one guy's property as the next. What this tells us here is that God makes reasonable exceptions. Is this person really to blame? Or was there just some unforeseen disaster? The sheep had a heart attack and just died. I mean, it just happened. Uh, And we need to be careful here when we're pointing fingers. I think that's the lesson. Uh, Look, I've experienced a loss. I want justice. I want it to be somebody's fault. I want that person to pay. And so all of those feelings can kind of come up. But you know what? There are situations where it's kind of nobody's fault. There's just kind of nobody to blame here. You experienced a loss that is not recoverable, and it's nobody's fault. It wasn't theft. It wasn't negligence. It just, it just happened. And in that case, you've got to let it go. You got two people come before the Lord and and they're both just like, look, I I didn't beat it. I didn't do this on purpose. It just it just happened. I'm really sorry about that. And in that case, you've got to let it go. It would be an injustice in that case to press that neighbor to pay because that neighbor is not culpable for what happened. All right. So implications here as we're coming to a close. About five years ago, we gave uh, Zoe a couple of mandarin trees for her birthday. And if you've grown mandarin trees from a young little tree, you know that they take a few years to produce anything. 
And so we just waited, you know, one season after the next, and it's getting bigger and bigger, and we're feeding it and trying to take care of it and so on. And finally, it gets to that season, probably three years in, uh, when it finally was producing a bunch of oranges, and uh, we're looking forward to coming months when they turn orange and we can start eating them. And, you know, we had a kind of a, a clueless kid that came into our backyard and he kicked a soccer ball over and over and over into these mandarin trees so that all of the fruit, well, just about all of the fruit, all but like two or three, fell onto the ground and they were all still hard and green and, and not ripe. Now, you know, it, it's just oranges, right? It's just oranges. But we had really put a lot of emotion into these oranges, <laughs> And so there's a little bit of sad and a little bit of mad going on as we're looking at these oranges on the ground. And uh, what does the Bible say about that? How should we handle that? Now, there are three problems that are going on here. There's three problems with, these, <laughs> with this property loss. And I agree, it's a small loss. I'm using a small example so that, <laughs> so that we don't cause any trouble here. We're using a, a silly example of something that we were able to get over fairly easily. And I realize that the scenarios you'd actually apply this to are much more emotional and expensive. But hopefully this serves as just an example and illustration for what to do. There are three problems that are going on when those unripe, hard, green oranges are sitting there on the ground. Three problems. First, you've got a property loss. Second, you've got a tense relationship now with this kid, and he didn't mean to, but with this kid that caused the property loss. It's a tense relationship here. Um, and uh, the third problem is that is that we've got some heart trouble inside us, the victims. We've got anger and frustration. So three problems, property loss, a tense relationship, and heart trouble. So what does God do about the property loss? God deals with property loss with restitution. Now, in that situation, I regret that... Uh, we tried to do the mature thing and just let it go. I should have given that kid an opportunity to make restitution. It would have been good for him. He felt bad. He knew that we were upset. And it would have helped him and, and all of that if we had figured out some way to do restitution. I just hadn't thought through these verses in such a way. Uh, obviously, there are times the glory of a man to overlook an offense. There are times where you just let it go. But there are also times where both for the victim and the perpetrator, you allow a process of restitution to happen because it brings uh, sort of a calmness back to the relationship. So I regret that I did not go through um, a sort of biblical process for restitution. And I realize, again, that's a fine line. It's also a biblical process to overlook an offense. So in that case, you could have gone either way. I wish that I'd gone a different way in that particular case. Uh, looking back on that, it happened a few years ago. Um, so the Bible deals with property loss with restitution, and he creates elders or pastors or town leaders or whatever, parents and that sort of a thing, in order to figure out what that restitution should look like. In conflicts between people, sometimes they can't come up with, this is a three times restitution. No, it's a five times restitution. They go back and forth. You may need outside help to come in and say, here's what we're going to do in this situation. I think God sets it up that way. He creates a restitution process that includes town leaders, church leaders, and so on, so that when our own emotions get the better of us and we cannot figure out what justice looks like here, we bring in outside help. Um, 
And then he also gives us this scenario of oaths before God that just need to be enough for those times where there just wasn't any harm done. And we go before the Lord and just say, look, that, you know, this was I didn't do anything here that caused the trouble. It wasn't a negligent scenario. It just it just happened. And I swear I didn't do this on purpose and that kind of a thing. And it needs to be good enough. So God gives us a few different principles here. Restitution, elders and oaths before God that can help us in these situations. Um, So that's the first problem, property loss. But what do we do about the tense relationship? And I think that the restitution process really helps with that. But it needs to be in our minds when we are in the middle of these kinds of conflicts. And this applies to property loss, property law, and it also applies to any kind of conflict that we have. Is it needs to be clear in our minds that, 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 that God wants us to be family with each other. And that's true, obviously, in a nuclear family, but it's true among us as well. God wants us to love each other. He, he wants a kingdom filled with people who love each other and, and are like graciously lavish in the restitution process. And that needs to be at the forefront of our minds. If I'm like, no, this is mine and I'm not going to give it or no, you owe me this amount and I'm not budging and that kind of a thing that's not displaying an attitude of somebody who really understands what's going on in the body of Christ. uh, We've got a conflict here. My emotions are high we got to get this solved because you're my sister, you know, you're my brother and I love you and I don't feel like I love you right now. So let's go through some kind of process so that we're moving toward each other. Uh, That needs to be important. John 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's not just a New Testament thing. In the Old Testament, in the middle of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, the Bible says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So on the part of the victim and perpetrator, there is this lavish love expression that goes back and forth that results in a calming of all of those emotions property loss can be extremely frustrating and expensive we see scenarios here where it may be negligence it may be theft but a person actually loses everything they have because of the restitution process Uh, we've got to understand that uh, there may be extremes that we need to go through in order to express love to others and life is not fair Life is uh, not always fair to victims or perpetrators. So are we going to be gracious? Are we going to be loving? Are we going to be patient people who bless other, other people in the middle of conflict? Or are we just going to insist on squeezing every penny out of people when they step on our toes? And finally, we've got a heart problem. And uh, we need to be aware of these heart problems. That heart problem is stuff like anger. It's stuff like uh, overwhelming sadness and uh, that desire to get out of town or escape, avoid the problem in some way. Uh, Anger, excessive depression, and escapism, these things can be very dangerous for a community, very dangerous in my own heart. James chapter 4 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. 
The cause of this is the passions at war within you. That's the heart trouble that we face in the middle of all kinds of conflicts. You said something that hurt my feelings or this process has been really uncomfortable or whatever it is. We find ourselves in all kinds of difficult scenarios and our passions uh, are risen up. The heart rate gets a little bit higher and we need to identify what's going wrong in our hearts because Christians are people who have learned the secret, as Paul said, of being content in all circumstances. Um, I can be content if you step on my toes. You can be content if I step on your toes because we are Christians who have learned from Christ how to rejoice always. And that kind of attitude results in people who love God and love other and love others. That's really what God is after. These Old Testament laws, we start to get bogged down in them and think, why does it say this? Why does it say that? But at the root, as we look at them and try and summarize what they mean and understand how they might somehow apply to our real lives, at the root, the purpose of them is that God is trying to create a people, a kingdom, a church filled with people who love him and love each other. And these laws make that possible. I'll close here with Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God in heaven, we are all too familiar with the conflicts that happen in homes and churches, cities, And we ask that your precedent principles here in Scripture would inform and shape our minds and fill our hearts so that we can love you more and love each other more and bring glory to you until you return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.